We are in Ezekiel and chapter 35. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir and prophesy against it. Say to it, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Mount Seir, and I will stretch out my hand against you, and I will make you a desolation and a waste. Mount Seir is Edom. It's south and east of the Dead Sea. And so Mount Seir, in this case, is a placeholder, if you will, for the nation of Edom. He'll say that explicitly later on. I will lay your cities waste, and you shall become a desolation, and you shall know that I am the Lord, because you cherished perpetual enmity and gave over the people of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their calamity, at the time of their final punishment. Therefore, as I live, declares the Lord God, I will prepare you for blood, and blood shall pursue you. Because you did not hate bloodshed, therefore blood shall pursue you. You're going to see in a minute, this is going to be measure for measure. And the key word here is desolation. That's going to be repeated. Verse 7, I will make Mount Seir a waste and a desolation, and I will cut off from it all who come and go. And I will fill its mountains with the slain on your hills and in your valleys, and in all your ravines, those slain with the sword shall fall. I will make you a perpetual desolation, and your cities shall not be inhabited. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Notice the repetition of desolation. All right, now here's the reason. Because you said, these two nations and these two countries shall be mine, and we shall take possession of them, although the Lord was there. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord God, I will deal with you according to the anger and envy that you showed because of your hatred against them. And I will make myself known among them when I judge you, and you shall know that I am the Lord. The two nations are Israel and Judah, northern and southern kingdoms. What happened was when they were getting sanded off, Seir said, Who boy, they're gone. I guess that means we can have the place. And that's what God is upset about. Twelve and a half. I have heard all the revilings that you uttered against the mountains of Israel, saying, They are laid desolate. They are given us to devour. And you magnified yourselves against me with your mouth and multiplied your words against me. I heard it. This is God speaking. So what he's saying is when, when Israel got clobbered, they said the place has become desolate, therefore we can go in and take it. And that's what God is upset about. 14. Thus says the Lord God, while the whole earth rejoices, I will make you desolate. As you rejoiced over the inheritance of the house of Israel, because it was desolate, so I will deal with you, and you shall be desolate. Mount Seir and all Edom, all of it, then they will know that I am the Lord. This is where he ties Mount Seir, and what he's really talking about is Edom. So the, the deal is, Israel gets judged by God. Edom, off to one side, says, Woohoo! Looks like real estate values just went down there, and we'll be able to move in. And God heard that, and you remember when they came out of the Exodus, as they were getting ready to go into the land when they came to Edom? And they asked if they could pass through. And Edom said, no. What did God say to them? He said, walk around them because I have given that land to them, not to you. And the fact that they're being snotty about the whole thing, yeah, we'll deal with that later. But the point is, the Mount Seir belongs to Edom, and it doesn't belong to you, and you don't get to conquer it. And then they go up above Edom, remember, and they hit the Ammonites. And God says, yeah, go ahead and take them out. 
And so they conquer the Ammonites and they go all up the east side of the Jordan and conquer all of that land. But God specifically tells them not to conquer Edom because the land of Edom is given to Edom by God. Esau and Edom are the same. This is Esau's land that's given to him by God and Israel cannot covet it. So when Israel was in a conquering mode as they were coming up out of Egypt and getting ready to go into the land, they went by Edom and God specifically said to them, you don't get to conquer them. So what's happening here is God is now looking at Edom and saying, sort of parenthetically, if you will, when Israel was coming by here, I protected you from Israel. And then when Israel fell into hard times, I had to chastise them. You then turn around and coveted Israel's territory. And so what God is saying, Israel knew her place. You clearly don't know your place. So we're going to teach it to you. Now we get to the fun stuff. Chapter 36. And you, son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy said of you, Aha! And the ancient heights have become our possession. Therefore prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God, precisely because they made you desolate and crushed you from all sides, so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations, and you became the talk and evil gossip of the people. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God, the mountains and the hills, the ravines and the valleys, the desolate waste and the deserted cities, which have become a prey and derision to the rest of the nations all around. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, surely I have spoken in my hot jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all Edom. Remember the previous chapter, he was ticked with Edom because Edom coveted Israel. And so now what he's doing in this chapter is expanding that state of peak so that he is upset with all of the nations who have coveted the land of Israel. And by the way, that should give us pause and everybody else pause. And he says, precisely because of that, I am going to do something. Okay, he hasn't yet said what he's going to do. What he's doing is he's laying out his reasons. He'll first talk to the mountains of Israel and then he'll talk to the people of Israel in the next chapter. The reason here is because when God was using the nations to deal with his people, the nations misunderstood what was going on and thought then that the land somehow had become theirs. There is a strong strain in modern Christianity that believes in replacement theology, which is to say that God forsook Israel because of Israel's performance and that all of the promises in Scripture that were made to Israel now come to the church because God got chapped with Israel, I would gently agree that that's the same mindset that God himself is talking about here with respect to his land. Verse 5, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Surely I have spoken in my hot jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all of Edom, who gave my land to themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy and utter contempt, that they might make its pasture lands a prey. Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains and hills, to the ravines and valleys, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I have spoken in my jealous wrath because you have suffered the reproach of the nations. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I swear that the nations that are all around you shall themselves suffer reproach. Measure for measure. If it seems passing strange that God is talking to dirt here, remember that back in the Torah, 
one of the things that Moses does is calls heaven and earth as witnesses. And he also says that if you do not follow my Torah, the land will vomit you out. So the land in this case is an active participant. And what God says here is, land, you have been disrespected by all of the nations. Therefore, we're going to change that. One of the things that they talk about in Judaism is God is male, earth is female. And Adam, man and woman, who are named after dirt, Adama is earth, and man, male and female, is the ultimate feminine principle in the universe. And they were created from the earth. And the difference between masculine and feminine in this point of view is masculine initiates, feminine responds and executes. And you can see that in the biology of men and women. The man initiates, and it's the woman who then takes that initiation and executes and produces from that a child. So the earth is feminine because what the earth does is takes the word of God, which is the seed, and God speaks over the earth, and then the earth executes and brings forth whatever it is that it's going to bring forth. So when God here is talking to the earth, in some sort of a sense, it's almost, almost, notice what I'm saying, I'm being very careful, I'm not going into Gaia or any of that kind of nonsense. What I'm saying, it's almost like husband and wife talking, if you will. The earth seems to be a participant here, and that makes sense if the earth is feminine and God is masculine, because it's the earth then that takes the seed from God and makes things happen. It's executive, if you will. Verse 8, But you, O mountains of Israel, shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they will soon come home. For behold, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown, and I will multiply people on you, the whole house of Israel, all of it. The city shall be inhabited and the waste places rebuilt. And I will multiply on you man and beast. They shall multiply and be fruitful. I will cause you to be inhabited as in former times and will do more good to you than ever before. Then you will know that I am the Lord. First off, notice who's coming back. All Israel. He doesn't say Judah. He will say down below when we get to the two sticks prophecy, he will explicitly mention Judah and Ephraim. But here it's the whole house of Israel. And we're talking from the Babylonian exile. So the northern kingdom has been gone, dispersed, and scattered for over 100 years. The southern kingdom has been sanded off by Nebuchadnezzar. And of course, we know from history, they're going to be back in 70 years. But that is not the whole house of Israel. Verse 12. I will let people walk on you even my people Israel, and they shall possess you, and you shall be their inheritance. And you shall no longer bereave them of children. This is very interesting. And you shall no longer bereave them of children. Thus says the Lord God, because they say to you, you devour people, and you bereave your nation of children. Therefore, you shall no longer devour people, and no longer bereave your nation of children, declares the Lord God. That goes back to what we were talking about before. The land will vomit you out, so this is very much as if the earth has an active part to play in the scheme of God, which it does. And so the proverb 
in Israel is that this is a land that devours its children. And what God says is when I bring them all back, that will no longer be the case. And we'll see why in a minute. 15. And I will not let you hear any more the reproach of the nations. You shall no longer bear the disgrace of the peoples and no longer cause your nation to stumble, declares the Lord God. 16. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land for the idols with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations. They were dispersed through the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. In other words, I did it measure for measure. So when they were in the land, they did not behave according to my Torah. Therefore, I took them out. 20. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name in that people said to them, These are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of the land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. So what he's saying is, when they were living in the land, their behavior was so vile that the land spewed them out. So what happened is, when they got sent to the nations, because they had been spewed out of the land which had been promised to them by me, my name got dragged through the mud. 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. In other words, you guys acted so bad that I had to throw you out, and the land had to vomit you out. And because of that, my name got dragged through the mud among the nations. Nevertheless, I'm going to act, but it ain't because anything good you did. It's going to be because I am going to restore my reputation. Verse 23, And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. And remember we've talked in other places that God promises Israel that I am going to be glorified through you. And the way we would all like to have that happen is for you to walk in my ways and I will be glorified because you are so prosperous and so wise and so great a nation. That's what we all want. However, if you don't walk in my ways, you're going to be glorified because I am going to send you into exile and I am going to preserve you in that exile. I'm not even going to let you die. And you are going to carry my name through exile and you're going to be restored here. And when you are restored, my name will again be glorified but you ain't going to like it. So you're going to glorify me. That's part of the covenant. And the only question is going to be, are you going to glorify me in blessing? Or are you going to glorify me in cursing? But you're going to glorify me. 24. And I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. 
and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. This obviously, as everybody has picked up, is the new covenant. It is not called a new covenant here. It is called a new covenant in Jeremiah, but the terms are exactly the same. Of course, the new covenant is originally set out in Deuteronomy. So it's a Torah concept. It is not a Christian thing, not even a Jewish thing. It's a Hebrew thing. And notice up above, when he's speaking to the land, back up in verse 12, I will let the people walk on you, even my people Israel, and they shall possess you, and you shall be their inheritance, and you shall no longer bereave them of children. Thus says the Lord God, because they say to you, you devour people and you bereave your nation of children, therefore you shall no longer devour people and no longer bereave your nation of children, declares the Lord God. God has not changed the rules. The rules for the land do not change. What changes is God is going to take the people and change them. And he's going to take out the hearts of stone and replace them with hearts of flesh so that they are going to be able to live in the land according to God's laws and the land will not vomit them out and will not devour children because the people behave properly. It is not the case that God sprinkles fairy dust over the land and the rules change. The rules don't change. What changes is the people. It's really, really, really important to understand that the rules don't change. Yeshua did not change the rules. The rules have not changed. We are also, I believe, not living under the new covenant yet. Verse 26, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So one of the things in the new covenant is the spirit of God dwelling within you. Well, it is also possible now to have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, even though people who have the Spirit of God dwelling within them do not, in all circumstances, follow the Torah. These conditions, if you will, are not met yet. So Ephesians, good old Paul writing, chapter 1, 13 and 14, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So what he's saying is, part of the new covenant is you get the Spirit of God. Well, you've got the Spirit of God because of Yeshua, those who believe. And what he's saying here is that Spirit of God is your guarantee, your earnest, your claim check, your marker, whatever you want to call it, that assures you that you will, in fact, be in the world to come living under the new covenant. Because, as I say, if you read the straight terms of the new covenant, especially in Jeremiah, that's clearly not what's going on. Yet we do have the Holy Spirit. And what Paul then says here in Ephesians is, that's your marker. That's how you know that it's going to happen and you're going to be part of it. Now, the other thing, this metaphor, hearts of stone, hearts of flesh. During Midrash, we talked about this process in Exodus and Numbers 
where God is trying to figure out how close he can live to his people without destroying them? So first off, he tries being right among them without a tabernacle or anything, and just all sorts of bad things happen. So he backs off. And Moses says, no, 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 don't back off. No, 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 don't leave us. So what he does is he sets up the Mishkan, the tabernacle. We describe the tabernacle as a God containment vessel in the middle of Israel. Because you got the power that created the whole universe living in the middle of the camp. And if people don't have some shielding from that, and we see times when the shielding breaks down, using a, using a metaphor, and thousands of people die. So what God does is establishes this structure, and it's designed specifically by him. And he establishes these procedures by which certain people in Israel can come into his presence, the high priest specifically. Okay, Moses, when Moses is still alive, but then the high priest thereafter, and only under very stringent circumstances, once a year, does the high priest get to come into the presence of God. It's, it's very controlled, very restrictive, and the procedures to do it are very tight. And what I maintain is that that is for Israel's safety. However, having said that, the reason that those procedures are necessary is because Israel doesn't have hearts of flesh. At that point in the development of humanity, if you will, we were not capable of existing in the presence of God. We would instantly get toasted whenever we did. And so what God did is he wanted to write his Torah on our hearts from the beginning. That was always the plan. But we couldn't take it. Remember when the nation Israel stood at the bottom of Mount Sinai and God said, I am. It was like a blast wave coming down the mountain. And the people said, uh, Moses, you go talk to him and come back and tell us what he said because we can't listen to his voice anymore or we'll die. So what they did is they said, we are not ready to have the commandments of God, the Torah, written on our hearts because we'll die. So what God did is gave them his commandments written on tablets of stone. And the tablets of stone are a metaphor for hearts of stone. In other words, you have stony hearts that I can't write my words on. Therefore, because you have stony hearts, I will write them on tablets of stone to show you that these are out of place. The whole Torah is about things that are out of place. The Torah written on tablets of stone and written on parchment is out of place. That's not where it's supposed to be written. It's supposed to be written on your heart. But we can't take it. We can't handle it. And so what God is saying here in the New Covenant is at the time the New Covenant finally kicks in, I'm going to do a heart transplant on you. And I'm going to pull this heart of stone that you've got, and I'm going to replace it with a heart of flesh, and then I'm going to write my laws where I always wanted to write them from the beginning, on your heart. And when that happens, nobody has to teach anybody about me anymore, because you'll all know it by heart. Remember in, in Jeremiah it says, you won't have to teach your neighbor saying, you know, know the Lord, because you all know me. And so that's what he's saying here, too. And it crosses then to Ephesians 1, where Paul explains to us what's going on. And he's saying, you don't live under the new covenant yet. It's coming. And you got a marker. You got your locker key. When you lock stuff up in a bus locker, you got your key. You know you're going to be able to get it. The Holy Spirit is your marker. He's your earnest. Also understand, the only covenant here is with Israel. There are no covenants with Gentiles. Gentiles, however, 
can freely join Israel. And in fact, people upon whom God has laid the Holy Spirit, basically God has said, come on in, you're part of Israel. The new covenant is specifically with Israel, all of Israel, not just Judah, all of them. But you can freely join. And the freely join part goes clear back to the Torah. It has always been the case that you could freely join Israel. When they left Egypt in front of the Exodus, there were people who came out with them that were not Hebrew, absolutely, called a mixed multitude. And they were allowed to freely come along. Now, lots of them didn't make the transition. In other words, they beat feet out of Egypt, but they didn't make the transition to becoming people of God, and they caused some problems. But that's an individual choice. 31. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and for your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. So what he's saying is, I'm going to do all this because I promised I would, and you're going to glorify me, but you need to get it really, really clear that it isn't based on any merit on your part. This is all about me, and you just happen to be the vessel by which I'm going to glorify myself. And that fits very well into Christian theology. You don't get to put a demand on God for your entry into the commonwealth. He invites you for his own glory, and you may freely accept, but you don't get to demand. You have no merit on which you could demand anything. 33. Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited, and the waste places shall be rebuilt. And the land that was desolate shall be tilled, instead of being a desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, The land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Full stop. I just saw that today. The waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. That leads me to believe that this is not a New Jerusalem thing. This is Johnnyology. Do with this whatever you want. But I don't know of what use a fortified city would be in the world to come. The only reason that you're going to need a fortified city is because, remember, at the end of the millennial reign, we're going to have another war. So that indicates to me that this new covenant stuff is, in fact, millennial kingdom stuff. That's speculation on my part. God gets to decide and I don't. But that, to me, is kind of a clue. The fact that we're going to have fortified cities once again. 36. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, This also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them, to increase their people like a flock, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during their appointed feast. So shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And of course we all know that the reference here is at the appointed feasts, when everybody had to go up to Jerusalem to sacrifice, there would have been lots and lots of sacrificial animals. All right, we're going to go through dry bones, I hope. It just flows naturally from what we've already done. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. Notice that this is not a physical move. This is a spiritual vision he is getting. So he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. 
And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. By the way, notice what has to happen here. Somebody's got to speak, and God tells him what to speak, but somebody's got to flap his lips. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. Now, I am taking that prophesy to the wind, the four winds, to mean is that the valley of dry bones is the entire earth wherever you have Hebrews buried, dead. This is a gathering. Some of you may have been here when I showed that video of the rabbi in Israel. He was on a speaking tour and he said, when I read that, I am seeing the millions who died in the Holocaust and they are going to live again. And the Christian churches in which he was speaking said, you what? And they made him quit saying that or cancel the tour because it was contrary to the Sunday Christian theology. But I agree with him. There have been lots and lots of pogroms and so forth, lots and lots of Israelites that have been killed in the diaspora. And that's what's being talked about here, among others. I mean, not limited to them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he had commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Verse 11, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are clean cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and rise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and rise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land, then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. So this is not obviously just limited to some particular valley. This is dead Hebrews all over the world. 15. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take a stick and write on it for Judah and the people of Israel associated with him. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel associated with him. He has been up until now speaking about Israel, the whole house of Israel. Now what he's doing is he is saying the whole house of Israel is composed of Judah and Ephraim or Judah and Joseph. So what he's doing is he is interpreting who he has met up until now by Israel. And it is not just Judah. 17. And join them one to another into one stick, that they become one in your hand. And when your people say to you, will you not tell us what you mean by these? Say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am about to take the stick of Joseph that is in the hand of Ephraim 
and the tribes of Israel associated with him, and I will join with it the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, that they may be one in my hand. When the sticks on which you write are in your hand before their eyes, then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone, and will gather them from all around, and bring them to their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them, and they shall be no longer two nations, and no longer divide into two kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves any more with their idols and their detestable things, or with any of their transgressions, but I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned, and I will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. So this is mechanics, if you will, of the New Testament. God's going to do it. God's going to bring them in. God's going to join them together. God's going to clean them up. God's going to resurrect them. It's all going to be done by God. 24. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. Again, this is New Covenant talk. And I have no doubt that this will be literal red-headed David. Because remember, we have just talked about a general resurrection, haven't we? David is a Hebrew. David lives. And what he says is, My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I give to my servant Jacob, where their fathers lived. They and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David my servant shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. Now, notice this dwelling in their midst. This is what God wanted to do after Sinai. Didn't work. So we had all of these rules and stuff set up so that God could travel with his people without destroying them. What he's saying here is when I have brought all my people back, when I have put my spirit in them, when I have taken their heart of stone and given them a heart of flesh, then I'm going to be able to live among them like I always wanted to do. And oh, by the way, David's going to be their king. And what I see that as being, and, and again, I could be very wrong here, I see that as being Yeshua. My read of this at this point is this is millennial kingdom stuff. And that's mostly hung on the fact that we still got fortified cities. I could be wrong there too. Just my opinion. That isn't thus saith anybody but me.